God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. All right. I tell you what, 1885, how many people do you think have sung that song since 1885? 18 or more. So it's so great to know that we're joining in with those same praises and, and prayers before the Lord. Well, I'll release the children through grade four off to Children's Church, and they'll learn there, and we'll learn here as we open our copies of God's Word to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 today, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's Bibles in the seats nearby you or on shelves or something, you can find them. I think you'll find Acts chapter 2 somewhere around page 770, somewhere in that area, Acts chapter 2. We're looking at a passage of Scripture that we've looked at several times before, and I'm sure that in your course of time, if you've been going to church for a while, you've taken a look at this passage, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It's a significant passage in God's Word. And this year, as we've been looking at this idea of how can we have our stories declare His glory, and our verse for the year is found, our verses are found in Psalm chapter 96, verses 2 and 3. Maybe you could say these with me. Sing to the Lord, praise His name, proclaim His salvation day after day, declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. And these are the verses, and hopefully you're memorizing these and trying to think of how can I proclaim His salvation day after day? What does that look like? And as we've been looking at that, and I want to thank Christian for uh, opening God's Word last week. And if you're wondering, I am not Christian Schnedeker. Um, and if you were here last week, you understand that. And if you weren't, you can catch the, the DVD in the back. So we're looking at today at letting our stories declare His glory, transformational community, transformational community. And the big idea for today is that church is the place for transformational community. In our passage that we look at, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we'll start. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wondrous, many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and, and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. So, Lord, as we look at your word today, I pray, Father, that you'd open our hearts, prepare us to hear what you have to say to us as we look at what your design is for the church. Father, it's so important for each one of us to be considering this. I pray that you'd help us with the distractions that would come into our minds, and they come in so easily, Lord that you'd clear our minds from that and prepare us to hear what you have to say through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at the idea that church is the place for transformational community. Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 says this, 
He says, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. We are being transformed. It's this idea of what happens together. And we know and understand that each one of us needs to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But that personal relationship with Jesus Christ is not to be something that is private. Rather, it's something that brings us into community. Now, Merriam-Webster defines community as this. Community is a unified body of individuals as a group of people with a common characteristic or interest living together within a larger society. Okay, so community is a group of individuals with a common interest living together in the larger society. And so what we have here is biblical community. And I would suggest to you that biblical community is the only transformational community that there is. The reason for that is because biblical community is a community of redeemed people. We are a redeemed community. Amen? And what does that mean? It means that, we're, that redemption transforms us. So what is redemption? Redemption is that, that moment in time when, when Jesus, because of, of his sacrifice, the, the church is, is bought with the blood of Christ, Paul tells us. And so the redemption is that time when the blood of Christ is used by God to buy you back from slavery to sin and purchases you and brings you into the place of freedom. And that freedom that he brings you into is his family. Once you, once you come to a place where you've trusted Jesus alone for your salvation and you've asked God to forgive you for your sins because of the blood of Jesus, you enter into the family of God. You become literally a son or a daughter of the Father. And you become part of the family of God. And that's what biblical community is. And that biblical community is a community of people who have been transformed by the Holy Spirit who are living lives that transform each other by the power of God living through each one of us. There's a quote by Dorothy Sayers who lived from 1893 to 1957, and she says this, God underwent three great humiliations in his effort to rescue the human race. First was the incarnation, when he took on the confines of a physical body. That was the first great humiliation of God as he came to rescue us. The second was the cross, when he suffered the shameful, and disastrous public execution to purchase our freedom. The third great humiliation, she says, is the church. In an awesome act of self-denial, God has entrusted his reputation to ordinary people. God has entrusted his reputation to us, to the church. Can you imagine how are we 
bearing the reputation of God. And biblical community is this transforming community that allows us to declare the reputation of God in the way that he has designed. In this passage, I believe, we see eight different attitudes that we need to have in common in order for that, for that transformational community to declare the reputation of God. And we're not going to get to all eight of those attitudes today. As a matter of fact, we're not even going to get to the four that are in your bulletin. But that's okay. We'll come back next week. Amen? So we're going to take a look. First thing we see is that transformational community shares a common devotion. We need to understand this word community is actually comes from the, the Latin, and, and I, don't, I don't pronounce Latin correctly, I'm sure. Um, communis is the root word for common. And, and unitus, or unitas, or so anybody speak Latin? You do? Oh, great. You want to come up and do that, or should I just continue to murder it up here? Okay, good. Unitas, okay, so, so what we have, community, is communitas. It's this idea of common unity. This idea of common unity. And, and the attitudes that we share in common, first of all, starts with a common devotion. And, and it's shared by all. And this devotion, the idea of that, is, is this steadfast, single-mindedness. So that what, what identifies us is this attitude that we have in common of being devoted to four things, Luke tells us. It's important to understand this paragraph that we see here in Luke is, is a paragraph that, that describes what's going to happen in the next three or four chapters. It's, it covers, it's, a, it's an overview of the, of the infancy of the church. You'll remember perhaps that Acts gives us this overview of what happened as the church began to grow. It was birthed on the day of Pentecost. And then as it continues to grow, Luke gives us a glimpse into what was happening as this church grew and developed. And in so doing, he allows us to see what God had designed for this group of people to be. Ecclesia, called out ones, those who had been called out to be different. What we need to understand is at this point in time when we're reading, every one of these people would have been either a Jewish person or someone who had converted to Judaism. So the early church here that we're looking at is by and large Jewish people, and that's important to remember because these people would have had a great understanding of what we call the Old Testament, what they would have called their scriptures. And, and as we look at this, they would have understood Adam and the covenant that God had made with Adam. They would have understood. They would have understood Noah and that covenant that God had made with him. And they would have understood the Passover. They would have understood Abraham and, and the covenant of circumcision. They would have understood the Moses releasing the slaves from Egypt and bringing them out, the Passover. They would have understood that God promised to send the Messiah and they were waiting for the Messiah. And this particular group of people, these who were called out that Luke is telling us about here, are the ones who have come to know and appreciate and understand that, yes, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. 
the promised one, the anointed one that they had been waiting for. <clears throat> and as Jesus died, he bought the church and the church was born. And it begins to respond to that. And in this, we see they begin this transformational community. The first thing they do is devote themselves to four different things. One, learning. And I put here learning, loving, obeying, and submitting. But it says here, the apostles' teaching. The first thing they devoted themselves to was the apostles' teaching. You'll remember Jesus, as he was getting ready to leave, called the disciples together and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So the apostles were teaching. You remember maybe that Jesus said to them, I am giving you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will come and he will remind you of everything that I have said to you. So here are these apostles who are by the Holy Spirit remembering absolutely everything that the Lord Jesus had taught them. And they're beginning to teach. They're beginning to teach these new people. And they're proclaiming who Jesus is. <clears throat> Do you remember on the road to Emmaus when, when Jesus walked along with the two men and he opened the Old Testament to them? And he showed him, he showed them every place in the Old Testament where he had been revealed. Have you ever thought, oh, I wish I could have walked on that path? See, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit allows us to understand those things. As, as we look at Jonah and we see how Jonah looked forward to Christ, as we look at the Passover and we understand how that looks forward, as we look at David and see how that looks forward, as we look at each one of these Old Testament truths and find how they find their truth and their fulfillment and their meaning in the, in the presence of Christ. And the apostles would have given teaching to this. And the people devoted themselves to this teaching, to this unpacking of the truth of God. So do you have a single, a single steadfast mindset that you're devoted to the teaching? Part of what's very important is for us to have a common experience where we're all hearing the same thing that God is teaching so as I or Christian or someone else prepares a lesson and goes into God's presence and says, Lord, what is it that you would like us to hear from your word? And we bring that to you and we open that up. That in common, we have this teaching that helps us move along in what God has for us. Does that mean I'm a special guy? No, I'm just a guy who Jesus loves and who's been rescued by him with a call on my life to proclaim the truth of his word. And so as we do this together, something common happens and we begin to move as a unit, as a community, as we're devoted to that. And that teaching happens in so many other places. As you find yourself in the ABF classes this morning or in your small groups or in your one-on-one -on -one discipleship, in each one of those places, God continues to bring teaching into our lives. And it's all based on the apostles' teaching. 
So what are you learning? And what are you committed to learning? What are you devoted to learning? Because for us to have transformational community, we need to share this devotion to learning about Jesus. And then we need to devote ourselves to loving. This idea of fellowship. He says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. This group, the family of God. Our our Father. We all share the same Father. Isn't that cool? And so as we're all together here, each one of us who trusted Christ, we're, we're here together. And there's a fellowship that happens. Now the truth is, we've been designed for community. We've been designed for that. It's not good for man to be alone. God's designed us to be in relationship. We've been designed from relationship for relationship. I remember when Tess was on the world race and when, when I'd have communication with her and then when she came back, one of the hardest things to deal with on that world race was community, right? Because community in that setting was as she traveled for 11 months through 11 different countries with just the things in a backpack, everything in your backpack belonged to everybody who was in that community. Because you were like with the same eight people for 11 months. And pretty soon it didn't matter whose backpack it was in, it belonged to the group. And there was this community that happened. The other thing that happens in community is you can't hide. All right, community's been designed so that we can be better. We can be helping each other. We can be walking with each other. I remember, Tess, and I'm putting words in your mouth that you've put in my ears. <laughs> but the idea that you confessed your sins to one another, that your friends would come and put their finger on something in your life and say, Tess, this. And you would say, I don't want to look at that. And so they'd push harder. Because they love. See, that's what fellowship does. Fellowship loves. And I love you too much to allow you to go down a path that will bring harm into your life. And so I put a finger on that. Oh, you know, we understand the log and everything else. I'm not, I'm not looking at you so I can avoid looking at myself. Rather, community opens us up to be able to say, how can we improve each other for the glory of our Father? Because we're a family here, you know, and brothers and sisters. And how many fathers love it when, when their kids are getting along? You know, when Charlie and Trish and Tess are getting along, I'm like, oh, this is great. When they're not getting along, I'm kind of like, ooh, this is great, but it's different. But, okay, <laughs> that's the sinful part of me, right? Okay, so it's all good. But as you think about that, what, what are the places where you experience fellowship? Because we're designed for that. And so we're looking to fill that. So what are those places where you find fellowship? And it can be in your, in your family. You know, I find fellowship with Karen and the kids and, and the grandkids. And, and you find fellowship in your work. And you find fellowship in your school. And you find, where is it that you find fellowship? Because you're designed for that. But could I suggest to you that once you become a member of the family of God, this is the place where you find your primary fellowship. Because it's here that you experience transformational fellowship, transformational community. Anywhere else you go, what you're finding is conforming community. 
okay? Those places in, that help us learn how to get along in the world better and build those relationships, those are conforming community. Here it's transformational community. Now, does that mean that you're not supposed to be involved in any other sort of communities or fellowships? Of course it does. <laughs> not. But it means that this is your primary. This is the one that everything flows from as you move into the other fellowships. Why? Because we're carrying the reputation of our Father. Okay? And the best way we carry the reputation of our Father is as we remain close to our sisters and brothers. Then as we go out, we're in the world, but not of the world. See what I mean? So this fellowship, to be devoted to this, this welcoming affinity. And it's not to be exclusionary. Okay, it's not the purpose that we're, we're trying to come into some sort of commune here where nobody else is welcome. Rather, what we're trying to do is come together as a family that everyone would want to be a part of. Because who do you know that God would not want to have be part of his family? There's not one person you're going to meet that God does not want to have come into this redeeming, transforming community. So, the third thing <clears throat> that I see they were devoted to is obeying. It says the breaking of bread, literally the breaking of the bread. Now, we don't understand exactly what this was at that point in time. There were some meals that the Jewish people had, some, some special things that they did together because the Jewish family, you see, the Jewish people would understand this community far better than we do. We understand individualism really well, don't we? But they understood the corporate aspect of life. They understood community. And so they had meals that they would share together. And, and, and Luke says that they devoted themselves to that breaking of that bread. And they devoted themselves to those times. I would suggest to you that for us, the best way for us to understand this is in the Lord's Supper. The breaking of the bread. To devote ourselves to that. And what does that mean? Well, as we come for communion, as we come to that table of communion, and isn't it interesting that as a communion of people who believe the same things, we come forward for the Lord's Supper, which we call communion. Scripture is very clear. If you have something against a brother or a sister, don't take communion. At that point in time, if, if, if you're coming to take the Lord's Supper and you have something against a brother or a sister, you're supposed to go fix that before you come to the table. And that's what it means to be devoted to the table of the king, to this table of communion. To, what that means is to come and to have your heart prepared to do that with a common unity that's being shared. As our father looks down and sees his children in great unity. The fourth thing I see they were devoted to is what I'm calling submitting. It says the prayers. Committed to the prayers. And again, in the Jewish community, there would have been prayers that they offered together. And, and that they would have brought those things together. For us, if I were to begin, our father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. As we forgive those. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Devote ourselves to these prayers. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh, could we break that prayer down? And we're going to be doing that in February and March and really taking a look at what does it mean to devote ourselves to these prayers. The next page over in Acts chapter 4, it says this. Chapter 4, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. So Peter and John had been in jail and they had been jailed for, for, for talking about God. And as they were released... They went back to their own people. They had been threatened, and I'm sure they were terrified. How do we declare the word of the Lord when, when all, all of the government is against us and when, when all of even, even those people who we've looked to as our religious leaders are telling us not to share? How do we do this? And they went back and reported it. And, and, and when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. The very first thing they did was to, to raise their voices in prayer to God. How is that for us? How does that play out in our lives? Is the very first thing we think of when something happens, is the very first thing we think of is how can we bring this to God? There's an old song that says, I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus. I cannot bear these burdens alone. Jesus will help me, Jesus alone. See, if your child has a fever, is the first thing you do go and get the ibuprofen or whatever else it is that you give them? Or is the first thing you do to go to prayer? Where's the first place I go? How often am I? And Karen will tell you, there's not a problem I can't fix. I am constantly trying to fix her problems and she doesn't need me to fix her problems. You know who she needs to fix her problems? Jesus. So what's going on in your life? Job change? Decisions on budget? How much do we, how much do we tithe? How much do we give to the church? Where, where do we belong in community? Should our kids be in all these soccer programs? Should, where, where are we supposed to be with all this stuff? You're trying to figure all that out. Do you start a, a sheet with the pros and cons and, and make your decision that way? Or do you go to Jesus? Are you devoted to prayer? Are you devoted to going to him first? Are we devoted to that? Am I really part of a community in a way that I share this common devotion to learning, loving, obeying, and submitting? And part of that idea of going to prayer is submitting ourselves to our Father who's sovereign over everything. The second thing we see is transformational community shares a common belief. Transformational community shares a common belief. A quote that I heard this last week says this, the text that today's culture is looking at is not the Bible, it is the church. The text that today's culture is looking at is not the Bible, it's the church. Okay, 
People today are not asking the question of whether or not Jesus rose from the dead or whether or not he truly died. People are asking questions like, if God is good, why is there suffering in the world? If God is good, how come the church doesn't get along? If God is really who he said, those are the types of questions people are asking. And the way that they read the text is to read the people who have said, I've been changed by the blood of Jesus. You can see Jesus as you look at me and as you look at us. That's the text that our culture is reading. So what do they see as they look at our community? What are they seeing? And how can we become a text that handles the reputation of our Father well? We have a common belief. And I love that in this passage it says, all the believers, all who believed, what did they believe? What did they believe? Well, verse 36, Peter says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. As he spoke to this group of people, he said, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Jesus has died. He was crucified for your sins, and he's God. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, said to Peter, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent, be baptized, change, turn, 180, give yourself fully to the Lord, and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom, on, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They believed that Jesus was Lord. They believed that he had died, that he had risen from the dead. And they were baptized. They repented and they were baptized. You will not find an unbaptized believer in the New Testament. It's a foreign concept to the New Testament. In the New Testament, you believed and you were baptized. With your heart you believe, with your mouth you confess. Have you been baptized Listen, I want to tell you, if you want to be part of the community, part of this transformational community, I challenge you. Jesus commanded that you be baptized. If you haven't been baptized, what's your reason? The only reason you could have that would be at all, I don't want to obey Jesus. Is it a big deal? Yeah, it is. Because it's part of what we have in common. It's this common unity. It's important. That and the Lord's Supper are the two things that Jesus ordered us to do that celebrates what we have in common. The gospel creates the church. And the church proclaims the gospel. The church is the gospel made visible. I'd like to watch a little video here.
The story of God has been written on our hearts. We're talking about allowing our stories to declare his glory. For that to happen, we have to listen to the stories of the people we come in contact with. What are the stories that they have and how can your story impact their lives? Because we've been entrusted by the gospel. Listen, you've been redeemed. If you're here today, if you are here today and you have never met Jesus, if you have never found release, if you came here today and you're one of those people at the beginning of that video and you're wondering, does God even care? Does he even see you? Can you possibly be forgiven for all the terrible things you've done? Yes, you can. Jesus loves you. Jesus has died for you. And he longs for you to be free. And if you have trusted him, do not allow yourself to be identified by the things you have, that have defeated you. No, no, no. Step into the glorious freedom that your Savior has purchased for you. We have this in common, brothers, sisters. This is who we are. We bear the reputation of our Father. And we do that together. Amen. Our worship team's coming up. We're singing maybe one of the coolest songs about this there is out there. Maybe you're not big into the Gaithers, but I'm telling you, I love this song. The family of God. And I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Listen, if you're glad you're a part of the family of God, could I ask you to sing like you mean it? Maybe stand up here and, and remember how we sang on our tiptoes a couple of weeks ago, just like creation with that eager anticipation. Let's sing this song. So glad we're part of the family of God. Amen. Amen.